it's time for the sermon. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that you'll be more effective for Jesus following his script rather than yours. That's what I'm going to say. But having said that, I have to say real quick, well, that may be true, the best way, perhaps, uh, to learn his plan is to actually begin with yours, but holding yours light, lightly, as we said last week about our ways and our, uh, our preferences and uh, uh, those sorts of things. It's good to have them, just hold them light because they may not be the same as the Lord's. Paul started with his plan in our text. It's printed there in your bulletin, or if you have your Bible, turn to the last two verses of chapter 15 of the book of Acts, or your handheld electronic device of whatever sort you may possess, wherever. Or you could just open your bulletin and look there. And, uh, but that's so plebeian and plebeian. That's just kind of... Uh, Anybody could do that. But whatever, find uh, the passage and let's look at it together. Um, You see that Paul started out with his plan and uh, he was working his plan. It went well, but then it was overridden by God's better plan. Verse 40 of Acts 15. Paul chose Silas. Now, Silas was one of the two guys they sent from the Jerusalem church with that letter that uh, uh, we read about earlier in the 15th chapter and that Josh uh, was preaching about for several weeks. Uh, It was a letter that said to the Gentile churches that uh, they did not have to, the people of those churches did not have to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. That is, they did not have to be circumcised, nor did they have to follow all the, uh, the Jewish uh, food laws. Uh, this man, Silas, is described earlier in Acts 15 as a leading man among the brothers, and elsewhere in the New Testament as a prophet. And from reading the book of Acts and particularly from reading the book of Acts, but then from 2,000 years of practical experience, we recognize that missions is something of a team sport. And so Paul began picking his team. He's the captain. He gets to pick the team. And his first pick is this man, Silas. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. We pointed out last week, they were approved by the church. They were commended by the brothers. They had the church's approval. That's important. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening strengthening the churches. Paul's plan. And it worked. (laughs) Uh, He went through Syria, Cilicia. The churches were strengthened. Chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, 
Uh, those are places he went on his first journey, and those were the kind of last places he got to on his first journey. Now he's sort of coming from a different uh, direction. Well, he is coming from a different direction and beginning with them on his way to check on all the churches. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. Apparently she and her son Timothy were converted on that first journey of Paul through there. But his father was a Greek. He, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. See, he was approved by the church as well. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Here's Paul's second pick. He's a rookie coming in for Mark, who has been sent to the minor leagues. And, uh, uh, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. More on that in a minute. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily, according to Paul's plan. That's precisely what he had in mind when they set out on this tour. Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. First on uh, places they'd been on the first journey. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. More about all this is coming. That's the sermon. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. More on all that will come. But note this, after you read that uh, account, they brought the gospel to Europe without planning or knowing that they did so. They hadn't planned to do it, and when they got finished, they didn't know they had done it. Part of that is because there was no Europe (laughs) in that day. It was all, everything, everywhere they've been is part of the Roman Empire. And it was sort of all one. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's, it's pretty important to, to most of us in this room uh, that they brought the gospel to Europe. Our roots mostly are European. And uh, the gospel came through Europe to the United States, where we happen to live. Uh, it's also pretty important to all of the Western world that they brought the gospel into Europe. But they're not planning it, and they're not knowing it is also important for you and me, as we're going to see in a little bit. They had no idea. Europe wasn't even thought of. They they didn't know about continents. They didn't know that they had crossed over from (laughs) the Asian continent onto the European continent. They didn't know all that stuff but we'll see why. But in all this, 
they have given you and me three imperatives uh, for accomplishing our gospel mission. And we have a gospel mission. It is the mission of the church. And because it's the mission of the church, it's the mission of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. We are part and parcel of the church. And so if the church has a mission, we, South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church, have a mission. And if South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church, as part of the church, has a mission, you've got a mission because you are South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. That's the long and short of it. We are no more and no less than us. Okay? We are South Baton Rouge Presbyterian. You are. So, you have a mission. It is the gospel mission. And I want to reduce these imperatives down to three words for you to write down and to remember for accomplishing our mission. The first is sensitivity. Why in the world, or as folks I grew up with says, why in the world would Paul circumcise Timothy? I mean, what were they doing? They were delivering the letter from Jerusalem to the Gentiles, telling the Gentiles that they did not have to be circumcised. They didn't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. Why then circumcise Timothy? Why circumcise Timothy and not Titus? Remember in Galatians 2, he said, well, even Titus wasn't, wasn't uh, a force to be circumcised when he went to Jerusalem because he was a Greek, Paul says. Now, was Paul being inconsistent? He's being utterly consistent. Paul circumcised Timothy because Paul was sensitive to the Jewish Christians. Understand how much of the church (laughs) they comprised uh, at that particular time. Timothy was Jewish by his mother. He was Greek by his father. His father apparently forbade his being uh, circumcised, and so he was uncircumcised. And while he was Greek by his father, the Jews, and Jewish Christians in particular, considered him to be a Jew. An uncircumcised Jewish Christian missionary would have been a huge problem to the Jewish Christians. Gordon Ketty has written, The Circumcision of Timothy was an accommodation to the Jewishness of the church for the sake of the peace and unity of the body. An uncircumcised Jewish missionary would be a scandal to Jewish Christians. So Paul stood on principle. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
That is to say, there are no works. Circumcision doesn't enter into it. Food laws don't enter into it. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Gentile believers don't have to be circumcised. Gentile believers rest in Jesus Christ. That's it. Paul was concerned, however, with the unity and the peace and the fellowship of the church. For the preservation of which we lay aside our personal liberties when necessary. Here's Paul's principle. Always be sensitive to the people and the circumstances. When it's a matter of a fundamental element of the faith, you can't give in. Don't. You can't. You mustn't. But when it's about something else, something that in and of itself is indifferent, what's the problem? That's the principle. Cultivate sensitivity as you go about the mission that God has given us. Secondly, obedience. I meant to try to figure out how to make one of those slide things you put up on the wall behind you. Imagine it's up there. You've seen a map of this. And I'm standing here with my, my pointer. Well, it started out in, in Syria and Antioch, which is here, and it began kind of going to the north and then a kind of a northwesterly direction. And they were visiting the churches as they go until they got over here to the city of Antioch, which is up there, and they wanted to go down here into, into Asia and preach the gospel there, but they, they couldn't. And, and, and so they kind of went up north and to go in, they wanted to go up into Pisidia, and they promised to Bithynia, and, uh, and they couldn't. And so they scratched their heads and went through Mycenae straight west uh, until they got to the sea coast and couldn't go any farther than the Australians. And the text tells us the reason they couldn't go into Asia or, or up, uh, uh, up into Bithynia was that they were prevented by the Holy Spirit. How did they know the Spirit didn't want them to go into Asia or Bithynia? Maybe the Spirit spoke. Don't. Maybe the Spirit gave them strong impressions what they ought and ought not do. Maybe providential circumstances, Paul's illness, whatever. Or maybe Silas, he's already been identified as a prophet. Maybe the Spirit spoke a word of prophecy through through the prophet Silas. Fact is, nobody knows. (laughs) I suspect they didn't know at the moment, at those points in time. I'm one of those who who think it was probably circumstantial, uh, uh, providential circumstances. 
And they didn't realize it was the spirit at the time. Uh, they didn't recognize that until they got to Troas and they're sitting there and they're scratching their heads and say, well, here's what we plan to do. And here we are. And maybe they were in Troas because that was a seaport to catch a boat back to Syrian Antioch. And that's where they had come on the first journey. They'd come out of Syria and down to the coast and come up and come into the coast. Maybe they were just going to get a boat and go back. But they were there. Anyway, they were there. Uh, and, and, and there's this vision, and they, that gets their attention, and they sit down and they talk about it. And in the rearview mirror, just like you and I so often, uh, in the rearview rear mirror, they see, ah, yeah, I don't, we, why didn't we go into Asia? Must have been the Lord's hand, the Spirit was, remember? This happened, that happened, whatever it was. Why didn't we go up into Bethany? Well, remember, you know, and ah, maybe the Lord was shutting those doors to us. And, and you think back on your life, and you think of all those things that at the moment you had no earthly idea what was going on. And then a year later, six months later, ten years later, a lifetime later, you look back Aha, you know, God was in that. I see it clearly now. I've, you know, I've got 20-20 vision. I was blind to it up to this moment, and my eyes have been open. I see God's hand in all of this. I mean, just think of Paul on the Damascus Road. He's knocked flat on his face by no one less than Jesus. And Jesus says, Paul, Translates, why are you kicking against the goads? We get to, you know, the short version. I, I wonder if Paul said, what goads? Paul I've been, you know, here and here and look there. And, and you know, and, and, and he sees how God has been leading him to that moment. Think about your own conversion. If, if you're one like me who can remember their conversion, of all the stuff you weren't aware of or maybe you're aware of but had no idea what it was, didn't care, just ignored it, and then you're converted to you become a Christian and you look back at it. So that's why that was. I think that was sort of the thing that was happening there. Could be wrong. Uh, but let me, uh, let me quote for some of you here. A word of encouragement from, from, from James Montgomery Boyce. He wrote, we need to understand that closed doors, though they are a type of negative guidance, are nevertheless true guidance. If we can learn anything from the Apostle Paul here, we learn that negative guidance merely keeps us from where we are not called in order that in God's time we might come to where God is calling us and will provide blessing. When God closes doors, it is not because he has nothing for us to do. It is to keep us from getting into a work to which we are not called, in order that we might be saved for a work to which we are called. So anyway, there they were, proceeding on their plan. And everything had been going well, and then all of a sudden, not so well. 
doors are closed here, doors are closed there. They can't do this, they want to do this. And, uh, and they wind up there in Troas. Now read again with me from verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, more about that in a minute, immediately, underlined immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So, underline that word, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, Neapolis, and Philippi. Note the adverb and the connective. Uh, when, when they seen the vision, when they concluded what it was all about, immediately, immediately, they sought to go into uh, uh, Macedonia. In verse 11, so, I have... I have so many so's underlined, almost as many so's underlined in the Bible as I do buts. You know, they're important words. Uh, so, they didn't delay in implementing God's plan once they had an idea of what it might be. Nor should you or I. Obedience. When we get God's will, do it. The long and the short of it. Third, openness. And again, from verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Note that they, that they concluded that God called them to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. By the way, I think I failed to point out uh, that Luke had joined the team. Uh, in verse 10, there's that we. First time you read it in, you know, in, the, in the account uh, of, of Luke's inclusion. Uh, we, he's the third, uh, the uh, fourth team member, third guy that uh, is chosen by Paul, apparently. And he's in on coming to this conclusion. Uh, they thought about it. They talked about it. Uh, they looked back and they saw the meaning of those closed doors and, and who was behind those closed doors. And they finally they came to a conclusion. Well, God wants us to go preach the gospel somewhere else. And that's apparently Macedonia. Uh, so it's a joint conclusion. Uh, they went through this process of coming to it and recognizing God's call. Uh, Take, for instance, going into the ministry. Uh, in my case, you know, there were, there were a couple of godly women on separate occasions in different contexts said something about the fact that they thought that maybe I had some gifts in ministry. I wasn't in ministry. I was in business. Uh, and they talked to me. I thought about it, prayed about it, said they don't know what they're talking about, and then he kept coming up, and uh, I mean, within me, and I went to talk to an elder in the church, to a guy who had gone to seminary who hadn't gone into the pastor. I would have gone to my pastor, but that's how it all started. He had left, and the elders, I was one of them, were doing all the ministry work, and uh, filling the pulpit and doing prayer meetings and everything else. And, uh, and so I went to see a neighboring pastor in the next town, and we talked about all of these things, and, and, and they took it apart and asked questions, and we went back and forth, and, 
And, and pretty much from, from those guys, it's unanimous. We think those women are probably right, that maybe the Lord is calling you. So then I had to get into seminary. Uh, the church had to sign off on it. I had to uh, uh, be received as a candidate by the presbytery. I had to pass seminary. Uh, then you do that, you've got to get a call to a church, and then you've got to pass this presbytery examination for ordination. There are all of these things. It's a process from feeling the call yeah, to realizing. And, and, and you come, and, and so finally you're where you think you're supposed to be, and say, well, I'm called by God. You know, this is it. It came, but you, you work through it. I think we all do that in, in, in all manner of, of situations. So they went through all that and uh, realized, realized that they were kept from Asia, kept from Bithynia, wound up at Troas. So after the vision, they went uh, to Macedonia and they did so immediately. Here's my question. What moved them to recognize God's call and to act on God's call? What moved them to that end? Well, he said the vision. I mean, it's pretty obvious, the vision. The Holy Spirit had done these other things, but here's this vision. It's pretty obvious, but what was that vision? It was a man of Macedonia saying, come here and help us. Do you get it? Ketty again. God appealed to Paul's and every Christian's two deepest motives, love for the Lord and for the lost. The Lord called him to Macedonia, but in terms of the Macedonians' need of Jesus Christ. Do you get it? And Ortland wrote what, to me, may be one of the greatest, uh, maybe the greatest missionary hymn ever. And there's a bunch of them that I love. Part of it goes, the vision of a dying world is vast before our eyes. We feel the heartbeat of its need. We hear its feeble cries. The savage hugs his god of stone and fears descent of night. The city dweller cringes lone amid the garish light. The warning bell of judgment tolls. Above us looms the cross. Around our ever-dying souls. How great, how great the loss. O Lord, she writes, Constrain and move thy church the glad news to impart. And Lord, as thou dost stir the church, begin within my heart. Those last two lines would be a magnificent prayer for you today. Lord, constrain and move thy church the glad news to impart. And Lord, as you do, Start here, in this heart, in this soul. Now, God may never call you to missions. I have never felt the first 
twinge of a call go on to the mission field. I've been to the mission field. Uh, never been called to be a missionary. Some of that is because of my absolute lack of proficiency in English language, let alone some other language. We, we planted a church in Juarez, a, a, a daughter church of our church. We were going back and forth to Juarez and working with the church planter and all that. And, and we had a lady in, in our church who, who taught Spanish in high school. And uh, she had a remedial class for Spanish or a beginner's class for Spanish and then went into intermediate and advanced. And, and a bunch of people in the church took it. One person failed it. <laughs> yeah, guess, guess who? You know, uh, and she very graciously said, perhaps, you know, perhaps you weren't meant you know, to speak in a foreign language. So I always, when I went to Warriors, I always, yeah, I had my translator there, the pastor, and, and uh, that was it. He translated both ways. And I tried, to, I could, however, find the men's room and I could order breakfast at McDonald's. That was my accomplishment in Spanish my entire life. Um, you know, he may not call you to missions. He may not. But listen to me. He does call you to mission. Missions is simply a subset of mission. Missions is a subset of mission. And the church is on a mission. It has a mission. We've already gone through that rigmarole. Well, if that's the church, it's South Baton Rouge. If it's South Baton Rouge, it's you. And it's me. We have a mission. It's the church's task. It's to proclaim Jesus Christ in any and every way to any and every person we can. That's our mission. Now, there are all kinds of other things you can say about it, but that's it. That's the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. So what I've said, I've said first of all to you, to urge you to cultivate these three things. Sensitivity, obedience, and openness. Openness to the call of God. But second, I've said it to encourage you. Uh, It's amazing, as I said when I started, it's amazing what you can do when you follow the Lord's plan rather than your own. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, the team, didn't plan to bring the gospel to Europe. They didn't plan to change the Western world forever. They didn't plan to turn the world upside down. Nor did they know they had done it. They were simply following God's plan. Doing what God called them to do in their part of the world with their gifts. God did the rest. It's amazing what you and I might do. Because that, what was true of them in the first century, well be equally true of you and me in the 21st century. There, now I've told you. Let's pray.